It's time to present Scott Coupon to bring you another episode of Finance Your Movie with tips and strategies to help you get your money to tell your story. It's time! Excited to be back, especially today for another episode of Finance Your Movie. And the reason today is I'm really excited. It's very, very special. We have a very unique guest, Andy Olin, with the Sales Warrior Within podcast. Welcome, Andy. Hey, Scott. It's great to be with you. Thanks so much for having me today. The reason I said it was a little unusual is Andy is not coming on here with his years and years of film financing um, experience, but uh, there's a term called benchmarking benchmarking that I uh, learned very early in my career, probably 40 years ago when I worked with Xerox. And what that means is if you're in the copier industry and you're trying to manufacture really high quality copiers or laser printers, you don't always want to study all the other laser printer and copier companies. Maybe you go over to Boeing Airlines and study their manufacturing process. Same thing with telecommunications and anything. So what we're going to a unique chance today is to really get I, – I, I'm going to learn so much um, – a unique perspective that we've never had in this show. So, Andy, let's, uh, let's go. I'm going to start with the first question for you. So many people, when they go to start raising money for a movie, it's a little bit different. It's a high-risk investment. You're selling – but people don't like that word sales. It's like, oh, it's that icky feeling. Can you can you tell me about that? Absolutely. Uh, in most of my sales trainings, I actually ask the participants who are sometimes salespeople, and I'll get one response from them. But often, if they're not salespeople, I'll, I'll ask that group of entrepreneurs, of estheticians, whoever it may be, to raise their hand if they see themselves as a proud salesperson. And if I get like two hands up out of a group of 50 or 100, <laughs> I'm surprised. Nobody wants to, Scott, to your point, think about themselves as a salesperson. And the reason, part of the reason that is actually comes back to Hollywood, to films. And what I share with the teams is look at the stereotypes out there that have branded or formed this idea, this negative connotation of salespeople. And I can think of a couple movies recently uh, that are sort of rooted in longer term or historical stereotypes that I can touch on in a second. But a couple movies that come to mind, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross uh, with Alec oh, Baldwin. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's a great sales movie. And Alec Baldwin is like this heavy hitting sales guy who's over the top and he's trying to motivate these other guys. And there's this very famous monologue out there. And he's just you know, cracking the whip and hitting them hard across the face. And it's just not a pleasant experience. So why would you ever like a salesperson if it's going to be like Alec Baldwin and Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross? Uh, then you sort of fast forward and you get to Chris Farley and Tommy Boy. Selling, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Another classic auto part brake pads. And he is a buffoon. <laughs> and it's that sort of that physical comedian that he was that, uh, you know, he was goofy. He was failing because he was so bad at doing it. And so, of course, we're not going to like salespeople. And then uh, maybe even more recently, The Wolf of Wall Street, and you get Leonardo DiCaprio and his crew trying to con people into buying their fixed shares of whatever they were selling, whatever they were promoting. He and Matthew McConaughey 
have these wonderful conversations and Jonah Hill. So movies actually really signal a preponderance of this negative sales stereotype that's out there. So that's one big reason. It's in our culture not to like salespeople. Uh, second, it's in our history as well. So if you think back to some terms like the uh, snake oil salesperson, hey, you know, this is from many centuries ago, but I have a balm, I have a potion, I have a remedy that's going to help you cure all of your ills. Actually, during COVID, snake oil salesman connotations and terminology came back around again for all these different cures uh, for COVID. And so, again, this is uh, deeply rooted. And, and really what it comes back to, Scott, to put a finer point on it, is that what people protect most in their lives are their health and their money. And you can probably put family sort of in, inside of both of those as well, too, but health and money. So if I feel awkward talking to someone who's trying to sell me a financial solution or something that's very expensive or a low-skilled, low-tenured salesperson who is giving me health advice, I'm really protective of that. And if I have a bad experience in that domain, it really paints this negative image in my mind for some time of sort of the the ugh, the yuck of dealing with salespeople. So that's really why, to answer your question, there's a lot of challenge for salespeople to step forward and take on some of those stereotype headwinds. So one of the things that I'm gathering you do is you you coach, you help empower people in all different industries on how to be better salespeople, how to get what they're trying to get. Uh, in our world, I, I tell most filmmakers, don't think of it as selling or even trying to sell somebody on a high-risk independent film investment start with a killer, killer business plan and share and share with a lot of people. So what are some of the, the tips, strategies, or advice you can give on what you would do to empower somebody doing a, a, a sharing a film investment with different people? Absolutely. And that's really the the center of, of my belief and, and also the podcast, The Sales Warrior Within, is that every, there's a salesperson within everyone. And and through some basic, simple things that you can do, you can start to express that sales warrior within and really build your confidence and build your skills in selling uh, very, very quickly and overcome these these stereotypes and, and really create value for that producer, that company on the other side looking to make an investment in your movie. And so a couple of things. Uh, first off, you know, I ask people, I'd ask your audience this as well, just as they're listening to this, to to raise their hand if they're in a relationship of any kind. And of course, we all are in some sort of human relationship somewhere in our life. We may be a brother, a sister, a husband, a wife, a partner, uh, a son, a daughter, a parent, whatever it may be. And so everyone's in relationships. And then I ask folks to think a little bit about, think about your best relationships in life and what makes those relationships work. And when people answer that, they talk about, hey, you know, we're really good at how we communicate with one another. We have a lot in common with each other. And ultimately, you know, trust builds and we can help each other solve problems. And right there, when people describe what makes their everyday relationships tick, I say, there you go. That's all it is between a salesperson and a customer as well. The, 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 the trust, the, that rapport? Absolutely. And and really, it's that you can address an unmet need of your customer, uh, or in this case, someone that's looking to invest in your movie, uh, and you can create 
uh, a great result for them through their investment. So they they do see a pathway that, hey, if I make this investment in you, Scott, then and in your film, that this is going to create a, a wonderful return, both in, how, in the millions of people that it, it, it makes it excited or it teaches someone something, uh, and certainly an economic uh, return as well. So the first step, the first real basic thing is for people to recognize that great sales skills are also the great skills that they've used to build relationships in their regular life. So, and in their personal life or in their business life. So if you apply the same principles of great relationship building from your personal life into how you do that with the person that you're pitching to or your customer, then all of a sudden I think it demystifies selling quite a bit. Very, very powerful. I, I would encourage everyone watching or listening to this podcast right now to replay that last 90 seconds that Andy just shared. It's so powerful what you just said. And so simple, but it's so powerful. I'm sure you've read that book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. One of my favorites. I highly recommend it to everyone. Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. Yes. I read it every year. And <laughs> it's it just, good. Just to reinforce what you just said in the last uh, minute or so. Yeah, and that's that's another great example. I, I teach and I share with people that I coach uh, in sales and in business that simple habits, simple practices create big results. When you're selling, you don't have to worry about boiling the ocean. You just have to do a couple of simple things. And Carnegie, Carnegie in his book, one thing that I've always, that's always stuck with me is that say your customer's name. There's nothing that that sounds sweeter to someone's ear than the boy, than the the sound of their own name being said. So that's a simple thing. Smile, right? There's part of it is being likable. Now, I always encourage people to be authentic and genuine, uh, but go in excited. And that's probably tip number two here is that there's a checklist that I recommend salespeople and business business professionals follow when they're engaging with uh, the folks sitting across the table listening to their pitch, and that acronym is POPS, P-O-P-S, and it stands for the following, preparation, optimism, passion, and self-awareness. So when you go in front of someone with your idea, be prepared, right? Don't just wing it. Now, you're the one who knows your movie and film better than anyone. You are the worldwide expert on your idea. That's fantastic. But have you practiced talking about it? Have you practiced your pitch? Have you practiced uh, persuasion and, and bringing forward the, the best points? Prepare for each one of these pitches that you do. Prepare for that, that engagement or that sales engagement with your film, with your idea, with your movie. Optimism. People follow optimistic people. Hey, I am so excited about this. I'm very optimistic about what this film can do for the masses and what it can do for you. Passion. Show and demonstrate your passion for why you wrote it or why you're part of it, why you believe in this. Because if someone across the table is looking to make an investment, they want to believe in you. And so they want to, they're going to evaluate your conviction, your passion, your joy of what you're doing here and see if they can ride that train with you as well. And then self-awareness is you know, self-awareness for salespeople is talk about and pitch the things that you feel most comfortable with. If you're not deep financial expert or an economist, don't build your whole preparation just around the return on investment. Maybe you're more comfortable sharing the story of your idea, the narrative behind it, how it's going to connect with people. And you have just enough to get by on sort of the numbers of it, how much you need and how much of a return it will create. But figure out what you know best and focus most of your pitch and presentation on that. So again, POPs, preparation, optimism, passion, self-awareness, the salesperson's checklist. 
I love I love that pops. I'm definitely going to remember that. And I think the optimism that you mentioned, the number two, I think that's probably more important than ever today with all this negativity and and toxic culture and uh, social media, people piling on each other and and the the news and the politics. So I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah, well, thanks, and and I agree with that. I I think we are wired to connect with one another. We we want to build bridges of connection. We we seek to do that. Uh, that's how we solve problems together. Is we do it in teams. Uh, what what's the saying, or how does it go? I'll probably butcher it, but I'll try my best. Is that uh, we can go fast alone, but you go farther together. I actually did that okay there. So uh, people want to partner with one another. They want to connect, and so are they going to do that by listening to someone who's very negative? or is their voice and their body language doesn't reflect that passion, that optimism? Probably not. So you got to bring your your energy, your A-game, even if you're not having a great day. Hey, when you have that 10, 15, 20 minutes in front of someone, you got to be on your, your A-game. Just find a way to do it. Get into your happy place because people will want to follow and engage with the optimistic pitch. I think I, I talk a lot about that too, that if you're not like, and I don't mean like over the top crazy, but if you're not super, super excited, however you express that authentically, if you're not excited about your film and sharing that with someone else, a film investment is not something people need. There's no necessity here. And it's not it, – it's, 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 it's a crazy sell because it's something that your contagion has to – your enthusiasm has to spill over and then a certain percentage of all the people – out there are willing to take a risk and then they do it. I wanted to, um, you mentioned just a few minutes ago, uh, habits. Mm -hmm. um, I have a list of habits and without telling you, I'd love to hear yours. I, I tell my clients, do these three or four things, even if you just take five or 10 minutes before you pick up the phone or before you get to a potential investor meeting. Are there certain habits that you do to get in in a, in a positive state and get that energy and enthusiasm. Yeah, you know, it comes back to the P and pops. It's part of that preparation cycle. One of the things, here's a very simple thing for your listeners that they, they can work on and, and really, I think, move quickly to master. Uh, in terms of preparation, toward, right before I get on the call or I go into that, that office for that pitch, what I will do is I will rehearse one or two, maybe three times, my opening line, my first literal four seconds of what I'm going to say when I meet you, Scott, who's going to be listening to my pitch or whoever's across the table. And the reason why I focus on the first four seconds, one, one thousand, two, one thousand, three, one thousand, four, one thousand, is because in that amount of time, that's when the first and a very durable first impression is made. And all the brain is doing at that time when you meet someone for the first time is doing a quick evaluation. Hey, is Andy someone that I feel warmth towards or there's a little bit of a chill here? It's a little bit cool. I want to ensure that my preparation and even getting that first line out. And the first line might be, hey, Scott, it's really nice to meet you. My name is Andy Olin. How are you? It might be that. But in that, right, there's a there's a spring to my step, right? I'm energized. A smile. Yeah, I smiled. I said your name as well, back to some of the Carnegie best practices. But in that short amount of time, my hope is that the person across the table is making a warm first impression. So 
I try as a, as a salesperson, as a business leader, and when I work with people is to, we go through what is your opening line going to be? What are your first four seconds? Uh, and then interestingly, you know, the other thing I, I like to do is, and I encourage your listeners to do this, is we actually share when we meet someone for the first time. So let's say this pitch for your listeners is in person. And so they go in, they meet someone uh, for the first time, they go through their first four seconds. We as humans also have a custom, at least in North America, many parts of the world, to exchange something that I would argue is pretty intimate, and that's a handshake. We shake someone's hands. We're actually touching the other person. And so even in that short moment as I'm saying my words and I'm shaking someone's hand, the impression, the first impression is being made. And so if my handshake is so strong and I'm hurting that person, they're not going to exactly they're going to pull back they're not going to have that warm impression if my handshake is too weak or limp wristed it's going to be you know a signal that maybe uh, i i don't have the strength to bring through a great product here in this pitch but if my handshake's nice and neutral not too strong uh, then i'm probably using body language signals in those first 4 seconds that amplify what i'm saying so we're talking now for a few minutes about a very simple routine that we go through all the time but for your listeners, have they ever asked anyone for feed feedback on their handshake? And so for your listeners today, this afternoon, this evening, this morning, whenever you're listening to this, uh, ask a friend, significant other to say, hey, I'm going to shake your hand and just tell me what you experienced. Do you like it? Is it good? Because it's not a natural conversation to say, hey, Scott, uh, nice to meet you. Your handshake stinks. Yeah. Right, we don't do yeah. that. That's socially awkward. Yeah, ask uh, but... a uh, a spouse, a good friend, a neighbor, somebody to kind of role play with you. So this is dialed in. This is so exactly. important. One of uh, a former colleague of mine when I was working in healthcare, Irfan, um, had a really weak handshake, and I gave him this feedback. And to this date, decade a decade later, he thanks me for that feedback. He's like, no one else told me. You're the only one who did it. It actually brought my confidence up, and I, I knew then I was doing it right. I didn't even know, and that's the same for most of us. So go ahead and ask for feedback on your handshake and give someone else feedback and go into that next meeting uh, having a wonderfully curated first four seconds and make that dynamite first impression. Anybody listening to this right now, some of what Andy is sharing is so – it sounds so simplistic and so basic, but it is so – important because we all do the same thing that first four or five seconds we evaluate it's like if you're meeting somebody for a date the first time a lot of people in the first five seconds like oh um, this is not going to be a good partner whatever so thanks for sharing all that um moving on do you have any specific activities or tips on how to get to yes or when you're negotiating so you've you've done the the preparation, you've done the pops, um, you've done the the handshake, the greeting. What what are some of the kind of the next steps that can help people get to yes? Yeah. So, you know, negotiation probably doesn't start within the first five to 10 minutes uh, of a presentation or sharing your film, your idea. That that comes a little bit later on. So let's sort of progress through what could be a scenario. You have your introduction, your first line, you make that great first impression. You know what I'd like to 
to watch and evaluate and share with other people is, you know, if you want a little bit of good advice on your pitch and how to do that, watch a bunch of episodes of Shark Tank because the entrepreneurs that are rolling out their products and they do in the first two or three minutes, uh, sort of a song and dance pitch uh, highlight and they grab the shark's attention, they get them involved, they give them uh, an example or a handout. Uh, and so I, I think that there's a lot of good learning in that. And then good, good and bad. Uh, it can be good and bad. Yes. Yeah. You, you learn, learn from the good and the bad. Absolutely. And you're going to see both and watch the shark's body language and how they react. Uh, and, and you're right. You said it earlier, Scott, and I completely agree. You have to be yourself in these situations. I am not going to go in there and do cartwheels and a backflip. That's not my authentic self, but I'm going to try through calm thoughtfulness, being well-prepared and being a subject matter expert. That's how I'm going to get them excited early on. So you have to be true to yourself. But then you were talking about negotiations. And in Shark Tank, what they get to very quickly is they get to a negotiation on a deal. And that probably has sort of varying amount of time before your listeners get to the negotiation. You know, when you get to a negotiation, uh, hopefully, hopefully you've had an opportunity to build some rapport and trust. Uh, and if you have that trust, and my mom always gave me the definition of trust as being consistent and predictable. So if you've been consistent and predictable in your pitch, maybe your follow-up meetings, and you get to that point where you're trading you know, ideas and numbers now back and forth in a negotiation, let's assume the trust is there. I like to use in a negotiation, and what I teach teams on is a negotiation style called yes, if negotiating. And yes, if sounds like this. Uh, Yes, I will accept that amount of investment if I retain this much of decision-making authority. Oh, uh, I love I it. I love it. Yep. So what you want to do is think about a negotiation, which a lot of people are scared of. There's often a thought of conflict, chaos, and crisis in a negotiation, or someone's going to try to beat me down to the smallest amount, and they're going to take over all the proceeds at the end, or, or somehow I'm going to get screwed in this. I don't want you to think about it that way. I want to think about how you can trade value back and forth, that if you're going to say yes to something, then what are you going to ask for in return? So I would ask your and encourage your listeners to think about all the things that would make a great deal worth it to them. And if they get more money, what are they willing to give for a bigger investment? If they're going to get less, what are they willing to give? And they think about all these things. They prepare in advance for that negotiation. And they go in never having to say no, but rather they're going to say, yes, I can do that for you if you can also do something for me. And it's a back and forth cooperative negotiation. Uh, and if you want to, if your listeners want to check it out, I do a 13 minute TED talk on yes, if negotiation. So Andy Olin on YouTube, uh, Andy Olin TED talk, and you'll find a 13 minute uh, executive review and sort of fun uh, overview of the yes, if style of negotiating. Awesome. We'll, uh, we'll put that in the show notes and promote that awesome. as well. But um, I, I love that. It's so simple. Yes, if, and I, I can think of a very, very clear example. Like, let's say somebody comes in and says, okay, I'm going to write a six-figure check. I want that executive producer title, but I also want my daughter to be in the film. <laughs> okay? So most independent filmmakers are not willing just to sell a part unless they've really, really vetted the acting skills, the resume, what the daughter can do. So maybe just quick thinking out here is like, yes, 
I'll take your big check and we can work your daughter into the film if we go into these parameters. We'll guarantee her a walk-on role, like a featured background, and we'll let her audition for you know three or four roles and we'll see we'll see how it plans out. Yeah, Scott, just listen to that. It's cooperative. You're agreeing to what the the potential funder investor wants. And you're putting your conditions on how to make that happen. You know, when people in a negotiation are um, asked to do something and they simply say yes, that's called acquiescence. It's giving in without protest. And the moment the person on the other side of the negotiation table hears acquiescence, ooh, Andy just said yes. He didn't ask for anything in a trade. I'm going to ask for something else, and maybe he'll just keep saying yes, and then something else, and something else. And all of a sudden, you can walk away from that negotiation having given away a ton of stuff. You feel terrible about it, and you haven't gotten anything in return. So yes, if is a way to confidently balance that negotiation back and forth. But you have to anticipate, one, what the investor might be bringing forward. And then two, you have to have trades that you are comfortable making, and your example is a perfect one. In a recent season of Curb Your Enthusiasm, one of my favorite shows, Larry David, uh, is producing a show, I think with Netflix or with someone, a streamer, maybe Hulu, and there's uh, some fun negotiations that he goes through where he's really compromised by someone who actually wants his daughter in in the show and she's a terrible <laughs> actress. And so there, that's an example of how not to negotiate, but uh, uh, that is a very real situation out there that I can certainly relate to. Yeah, because both both parties wanna feel like they're getting something. They both wanna feel good about, about the end deal. Um, Andy, we're running a little bit over time. Is there any way I can bring you right back after a quick break? Absolutely. <laughs> 